this morning, I wanted to talk to you about how to pass a test. How many of you like tests? Anybody in this room? You are the weird ones in the room, the academic ones. Uh, I do not like tests. The reason I don't like tests is because you prepare and you prepare and you prepare. You spend hours studying something, and then everything culminates to a single pass or fail moment that seems to define uh, your near future after that. And there's a lot of pressure that we place on tests. But there are different kinds of tests, aren't there? In fact, when I was in first grade, I took a different kind of test. I took an eye test. And I went to the optometrist for the first time in first grade to check my eyesight. And I I tested my eyesight by reading the letters off of the wall. But at the time, I thought glasses were really cool. And I wanted to be a kid who wore glasses. So I lied to the optometrist about the letters that I was seeing. And I intentionally failed the test so that I could get myself a pair of glasses. And my parents, they forked over a lot of money to to buy me a pair of reading glasses. And they told me they had I had to put them on when I was reading at school. But when I went to school, I'd put them on and I'd start getting headaches because I couldn't see. And it wasn't until years later when I was adult, probably in my 20s, that I told my mom, Hey, mom, do you remember when I wore glasses in first grade? I lied about that. And my mom was shocked. She said, what? You know how much those glasses cost us? I failed that test. But there's, a, there's another kind of test that I want to talk about as well. Uh, it was first conducted at Stanford University in 1972, and it was called the marshmallow test. Has anybody heard about this experiment? It's a psychological experiment, a cognitive experiment that uh, tested the correlation between a child's ability for delayed gratification and the success that they would have in the future. So what they did is they'd place a marshmallow in front of a kid, and uh, the conductor would say, all right, here's the deal. You can eat this this delicious marshmallow right away, or you can wait 10 minutes, and when I come back, I'll give you two marshmallows. And so they would see, they found out, they followed these, these children for 40 years. And what they discovered was that uh, delayed gratification, uh, what, uh, it was correlated with higher SAT scores, uh, with, with, a, um, a, 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 with your body mass index, a better body mass index, with your educational attainment, other life measures. And uh, they followed these children, but they, they called it the marshmallow test. And I wanted to show you, this is, this is what happens when, you, when, a, when a magician does the marshmallow test, but here's a little example of the marshmallow famous Stanford marshmallow experiment tests children's self-control. You have a choice. You can eat it now, totally cool, or if you can wait until I get back, I'll give you a second marshmallow. I can, I can do it. You can wait 10 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, by the way, if you want, you can use that cup to cover it up so you don't have to look at it. Good luck. Okay. Researchers showed that by putting a marshmallow in front of a kid and daring him not to eat it, you could tell if one day they'd be the next Steve Jobs or the next Steve Gutenberg. Now, in the original experiment, they just waited to see what happened, but I don't have the patience for that.
A rat? Oh, you ate it. That's okay. I didn't eat it. I missed a cup and it was gone. How'd you do? Good. <laughs> was it good? Yeah. After I let up the cup, it just disappeared. What disappeared? The marshmallow. Would you like another one? Oh, buddy, here. You want to eat this one? It's okay. Here, eat this one. You can eat this one. It disappeared like magic? Yeah. Well, eat this one. Tell me how it tastes. Good. Is it good? Well, we made a kid cry, so I'd say phase one was a success. Oh, that is the marshmallow test. And, you know, this, this marshmallow test has been one of the most significant cognitive studies uh, for psychology to, to, to see what, what is it uh, early on in a child's development that determines their success. And so they've, they've, they've done this test many times since the original one in 1972, and they factored in things like your economic status or uh, family, uh, family dynamics to see if those things contribute at all to a child's future success. But there was this one very interesting study that happened in 2012. And it was done by the University of Rochester. They revisited this experiment to see how a child's trust in a person's reliability affected how long the child waited. So what they did is they broke up the children into two groups. And one group had a reliable source. They had a reliable um, environment, while the other children had an unreliable environment. So let me give you an example. What the conductor would do is they'd give them a piece of paper and a little thing of like some dilapidated crayons. And they said, you can draw, you can use these crayons to make a picture now, but if you just wait a few moments, I'll come right back and give you the big craft set. And so the conductor would leave the room, and they'd come back in with this giant tray of all sorts of glitter and crafts, brand new craft supplies, and they'd put it in front of this kid. It's this colorful plate of craft supplies. And that those children were in the reliable environment. They knew that the person that was conducting the experiment was going to keep their word. The second group of kids were told, you can use these crayons or I'll bring you back some crafts, some better crafts, some bigger crafts in a moment. But the conductor would come back in a few moments later and say, oh, I'm sorry. I don't know where I placed the crafts. I, I must have lost them. But here, you can just use the crayons. And then they would proceed to bring these kids through the marshmallow test. Well, what is the significance of of what we're talking about. What's the point? What does the marshmallow test have to do with what we're talking about? You have probably, oh, by the way, the children in reliable conditions, they waited four times longer than the other children in unreliable conditions. So they found out that a child's uh, environment where the, the person who was giving them a promise, if they were very reliable, they were w willing to wait four times longer. Well, I want to tell you that you've probably experienced a broken promise in your life. You've been tricked or misled, or uh, you've, you've learned that people are sometimes unreliable. But here's the truth this morning. God is not unreliable. He isn't trying to trick us, and he never breaks his promise. And when we are in the midst of a test, we have to learn that God wants us to succeed, and that he will always keep his promises. And when we are tested, what God is really asking us in those moments is do you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust that all good things come from me? When we're tested, God is asking us, 
do you think that I break my promises? Or are you willing to trust that I'm, I'm true to my word? God might be saying, do you believe that I'm reliable? That when I am, when, when I put you through a test, when, I, when you are in a season of life where you don't, you're not sure what's going on and you feel the test upon you, do you trust that God is a reliable God, that he does not break his promises? God tests all of his people. This is a, a truth of our faith. This is a fact of our faith that God tests his people. He tested Adam and Eve in the garden by telling them not to eat of the forbidden tree. Why didn't he just take the tree out of the garden in the first place? But he left the tree of the knowledge of good and evil right there beside the tree of life. And the tree of life they could eat freely from. But God said, don't touch this other tree. God was testing Adam and Eve in the very beginning to determine whether they were going to trust that he was good and reliable and that he had their best in his mind. He tested Abraham when he told him to sacrifice Isaac. His one son, that was the the promised son that was going to be the beginning of all of his descendants. God asked him to sacrifice Isaac. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit so that he could be tested. You see, testing plays a huge part of our faith. But why does God test us? And how can we identify when we're going through seasons of testing? And how do we pass the tests? That God puts in front of us. This is what James says in chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Thanks, James. Joy in trials. That's much easier said than done. Verse 3, Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. You see, the Greek word for trials is pyrosmos, and it's the same word translated elsewhere in Scripture as temptation. In fact, the root of that word, pyrosmos, the root of that word is used a few verses later to explain how God does not tempt anyone. He doesn't tempt anyone. This is what James says in uh, verse 13. When tempted... No one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. That word there is actually an adjective to describe God. He is without temptation. He cannot. It's part of who he is. He cannot be tempted. He's not susceptible to temptation, and therefore he cannot tempt anybody else. Verse 14. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desires and enticed. You see, God tests our faith, but he will never tempt us with sin. You see, the difference between testing and temptation is the intended outcome of the person doing it. The devil, Satan, wants to tempt us with the intended outcome of our failure. He wants us to disobey God, to get farther away from God. But God tests us with the intended outcome of our proven faithfulness. He wants us to develop perseverance, to become stronger, to become more mature, And oftentimes, the same event that God uses to test us, the enemy will use to tempt us. God will put you in a situation, and he tests your faith. And it's not so that 
you fail the test. He wants you to succeed. He wants you to grow in maturity. He wants you to develop perseverance. And God will place us in seasons of life, or he will allow circumstances to come in and test our faith because a tested faith is a strong faith. Without testing, we cannot have a strong faith. It is testing that develops our perseverance and makes our faith strong. God will allow these circumstances to come in and test our faith. And as we are waiting in those seasons of testing, the enemy will come in and try to give us a way out. Just like he did with Jesus in the wilderness. Jesus, you don't have to do this. You don't have to be hungry. Tell this stone to become bread. Jesus, I'll take away all the pain. I'll give you all the kingdoms of earth if you would just bow down and worship me. He was giving him a way out. The devil did the same thing to Adam and Eve in the garden, didn't he? God told them, trust me. Believe that I am reliable, that I want the best for your life. And the devil comes in and says, no, does God really want the best for your life? Now, there's an easier way. If you just eat the fruit, you'll see, you'll see, you'll become like God. He doesn't want you to have that. But the Bible says that they were already created in the image of God. They were already made in his image. They were already like God. The devil will take these circumstances that God will allow uh, testing to happen, but the devil will come in and he will try to tempt us and drag us away from our faith in Jesus and in his goodness. You know, uh, I love to go shooting. I love to go hunting. Anybody in the room with me there? Okay, if you're not with me there, I'm so sorry. But this is Afreda. Um, We're kind of in that country and... When I when a hunter buys a new rifle or a new scope, if he wants to be successful, he's going to first take the rifle to a range where he can test the accuracy of the rifle and see if it's been sighted incorrectly. And a good hunter looks forward to testing his rifle because he wants to hit the mark. He wants it to be accurate. You understand that you are God's instruments and God takes us to the range and tests us so that we can hit the mark. He wants us to be on target. He doesn't want us to fail. He wants us to succeed so that we will be useful for hitting the mark. That we will become mature and complete, not lacking anything. Here's the truth. God's goal for your life is not to make you happy. I'm sorry if you came into a relationship with Jesus thinking that life was going to be much easier, that your problems were going to go away. But God does not care about your comfort. He's more interested in your character. God wants to develop you. We will spend trillions of years in eternity enjoying the presence of God and being happy in his presence. But right now, you are in a season of growth. Your time on earth is a season of growth. And his goal is to grow us into spiritual maturity. He's so much more interested in your character than in your comfort. So how does our faith grow? Through testing. Our faith grows Through tests. It's like when you work out in a gym. When you test your muscles by lifting weights to see how much you can lift. The more you test your muscles, the more your muscles will grow. And it can be hard to identify seasons of testing when we're treading water in the midst of it. Oftentimes we are in seasons of testing. I I assume many of us in the room are in a season of testing right now. And it's hard to see that you are being tested when you're just trying to keep your head above the water. You don't understand what's going on. You're just treading water. And it can be very helpful to know when your faith is being tested because then you would know how to ask God for wisdom like James tells us to do. He says, if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask God. 
when you're aware of the tests that you're going through, when you're aware that God is trying to strengthen you, he's trying to grow you, he has you in the midst of a trial for a purpose, for a reason, when you are aware of that, then you can begin to ask God for the strength and the wisdom that you need to succeed and to pass the test that he has you in the midst of. So this morning, I want to talk to you about five different kinds of tests that we might find ourselves in. I stole some of these from Pastor Rick Warren, by the way, so I got to give credit where credit is due. They were just so good that I had to use some of them. The first test is number one. It's called the what test. It's the what test. You may be faced with a difficult task that seems impossible. God, he might plant a dream or a desire or a task in your heart. And your first response when he tells you what it is that he wants you to do is, what? Me? You've got the wrong person. There are way more spiritual people at my church, God. There are way, there's other people that are more qualified to do what you're asking me to do. It's the what test because we say, what? What are you talking about? It's way too big. And Hebrews 11.1 1 says this. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. It's believing in something, even though you can't see it. It's not just guessing that it's there and stepping out blindly, but it's confidence in who God is, knowing that God has got my back. I'm going to step into the future. I'm going to step into this impossible task that God has given me because I know he's there and he's got my back. That is faith. God told Noah to build an ark when no one on earth had ever seen rain before. Have you read that in Genesis? Rain had not shown up yet. And God says, build a boat because rain is coming. And Noah says, what? What's rain? What are you talking about? God says, I'm going to flood the earth. And then God says, and then I'm going to, you're going to gather one of every creature type. You're going to gather, you're going to get together every creature type onto this boat. And Noah's probably saying, what? How's that going to happen? And God says, don't worry, I've got it planned. This is the, the, the Blake version of the Bible. Don't worry, I got it, Noah. Just trust me. It seems like an impossible task, but he built an ark by faith. His helping hands just had their silent auction dinner last night. Don, how much money did we raise? Yes. 6000 Woo! Praise God. They just had their silent auction dinner last night, and his helping hands, uh, Don came and spoke uh, at one of our pastor's lunches when, when we had other pastors in Afreda in the room, and uh, his helping hands has the support of our community. There are, there are many, many people in Afreda and Soap like that believe in the mission of his helping hands, and they support his helping hands, but it began years ago with a task that God gave to some ladies in our church to provide coats for our friends living on the street. God placed a task or a desire, a burden on the hearts of some ladies in our church, and they probably at first said, what? Me? You want me to do what? But God blessed their faithfulness, and now his helping hands does far more than provide coats for people in our community. It was a task that God placed on somebody's heart. And they stepped out in faith. Dawn, you stepped out in faith. And God blessed what you did with his helping hands. He's continuing to bless what you're doing with his helping hands. So the what test. You might find yourself in the midst of a what test. And the what test is when God tells you to do something, number one, that you've never done before. 
It's new to you. Number two, it's, a te- it's, it's something that seems impossible. You can't do it on your own. And when you step back and look at it, you say, how am I going to do that? I'm not qualified. I've never done that before, God. That is the what test. So what does passing the what test look like? What does having faith in the midst of a what test look like? Faith is stepping into that future without fully knowing what's going to happen. Faith is facing the future, stepping into what God is placed on your heart without knowing what's going to happen. That's the first test. The second test we call the where test. The where test. God may ask you to go without telling you where you're going to end up. God may want to give you a major change. It may be where you serve or where you live or where you work. Say amen, baby. It's, it's where you serve or live or work. Hebrews 11.8 talks about Abraham. It says, it was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going. Abraham was 75 years old when God told him to leave Ur and go to Canaan. Most of the time, those of us who hit 75, we're ready to retire, start golfing full time, right? We're ready to en- enjoy life. And God says, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you retire, Abraham. Uh, there's a few people in our church who believe there's no such thing as retirement, retirement when you follow Jesus. You never retire when you follow Jesus. He just moves you to a new assignment. Some of you are going, oh, man, why are you telling me this now? This is a whole nother, a whole nother sermon, Pastor. Maybe we'll get there. But Abraham was 75 years old when God says, I want you to go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the trajectory of your life. You're going to be doing things that you never thought you'd be doing, Abraham. I'm ready to inspire you. Abraham says, I'm ready to retire. God says, I'm ready to inspire. It's time to get up. Start moving. Don't sit down, Abraham. Here, I'm not done with you. In 2020, God called Christina and I to leave our church in Newburgh, Oregon. I was in a staff meeting. We have, uh, we have some friends from Newburgh, Oregon right here in the front row that came to visit us. They're, they're wonderful friends of the family. And uh, I remember uh, this church, I, uh, the, the pastor of the church is one of my best friends. I, uh, the, we had the most incredible staff. I loved everybody I worked with. I had deep relationships. My wife had deep relationships. Uh, we had a house with lots of equity in it. And uh, uh, I was... I was doing well. Uh, it was in January of 2020 when God spoke to me during a staff meeting and said, this is your last year here at Red Hills Church. And my immediate reaction was, what? In fact, I told a family member who came to our house, I said, I feel like this is what God is telling me. He says, I don't think that's what God was telling you. He says, you're crazy. He says, why would you leave this home? Why would you leave this place? To go somewhere else. Where are you going to go? I said, I don't know. I just feel like I'm supposed to go. And so I went to my pastor and I, I began to express to him, I think God is leading us out. I'm not entirely sure where we're going to land. I didn't even know if I wanted to be in ministry anymore. I was thinking maybe I should take a, a break from ministry and do something else. And maybe later I'll come back in ministry. I didn't know if I wanted to be a pastor or maybe continue leading worship somewhere. Uh, I hadn't, we hadn't landed anywhere, but God said, this is your last year. And so I told my pastor, I said, I, we're just supposed to go. God's going to iron out the details as we go along. And, and we began to make plans for me to exit at the end of the year. And God has been good. As you step out into the unknown, sometimes you don't know where you're going to land. 
that was one of our wear tests. When God told us, I want, I want to bring you into a major change. I want you to move. I want you to develop new relationships, new friendships, new mentors. I want to give you a new level of leadership. I just want you to go. And it took a lot of trust, a lot of faith for us to say, okay, we'll go. We'll trust you, Lord, that you're going to make us land somewhere that is better. Not better because of external circumstances, but better because God is doing something new in my heart. He's doing something that we needed. We needed to be here. This is, this is where God put us. So faith in the midst of the wear test is following God's leading without knowing where. When God wants to put a major change in your life, it's following God's leading without knowing where. The third test is called the when test. Oh, we all know the when test. And this is perhaps the hardest test for me. Every person will or has experienced a delayed promise. And it's where you ask God, when will you answer my prayer? When will you fulfill the promises that you gave to me? When, God, are you going to intervene in this situation? We've all been in in the midst of a when test. David was anointed king of Israel when he was 16 years old. The prophet Samuel came and visited him, anointed his head, and said, You are God's chosen one, a man after God's own heart. He sees the inside. You are going to be the next king of Israel. But David didn't actually sit on the throne of Israel until he was 30 years old. He waited 14 years for a delayed promise of God. And in the midst of those 14 years, he had many opportunities to seize this promise of God on his own and in his own timing. We read the story of when Saul is in the cave and David is, is sneaks up behind him and David has an opportunity to take Saul's life. In fact, he's got some men that's telling him, do it. Take his life. He's just trying to kill you. David says, I will not harm the Lord's anointed. I won't put a hand on him. And he cuts off a piece of his robe, a piece of his cloak, and later shows it to him and says, See, I had every opportunity to seize the throne, but I'm deciding, I'm choosing to wait on the Lord's timing. David had every opportunity, but he decided to wait. James says this, it says, The testing of your faith produces perseverance. Church, perseverance isn't bought. You can't pray it into existence. You can't wake up one morning and suddenly you can persevere. No, perseverance is learned. It is produced. When your faith is tested, you gain perseverance. I can't tell you how many of my friends growing up in the church have wandered away from the Lord because they never learned perseverance. They, they saw the testing of their faith as a bad thing. And when their faith was tested... They turned it, they threw in the towel and said, this isn't what I want. This is too hard for me. But perseverance is developed when you withstand the testing. When God places pressure on your life, he tests your faith. You know, doubt is not, uh, doubt is not something that God wants for our lives, but it's, it's a part of all of our journey. We all experience doubt. We all question our faith maybe at some point. And that is an opportunity for our faith to be tested. To allow God to come in and strengthen our faith in the midst of those seasons. The root of the Latin word for perseverance, it means to harden, to strengthen, to harden. Think of how diamonds are made. Diamonds, 
are, are formed when carbon preserves through immense amount of heat and pressure, and it's eventually formed into some of the strongest material that we have on earth. God wants to harden your faith, not harden your heart. He wants you to have a soft heart, but a hardened faith, a strong faith that is unshakable, unwavering, and we get that through testing. When we are obedient in the midst of testing, sometimes we think that waiting, that seasons of waiting is just time wasted. My wife pointed this out to me last night as we were going through the sermon. She's so right. Sometimes we think that waiting is just time wasted. When am I going to get to the things that, I, that really matter? Waiting, this waiting season. I'm just wasting time in this waiting season. Why don't you just move so that I can continue to do the things that you're calling me to do? But hear me, church. Nothing is lost in the waiting. There is nothing lost in the waiting. God places us in waiting season because those seasons are fruitful, whether we see it or not. God may say, I have you in this waiting season because I'm trying to teach you something that's going to prepare you for your future. And until you learn this thing, you cannot move forward. If you want to be strong, if you don't want to fail, if you want to accomplish the things that I put in front of you, you have to sit still and wait and allow me to teach you these things. And we kick and we scream and say, God, just get it over with so I can do the things that I'm really supposed to be doing. And God says, this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to sit still, stay in the waiting, stay in the when test. So how do you pass a when test? What does faith look like? Faith is waiting for God's timing without knowing when. And faith is, persist, is persisting through pain without knowing how long it will last. How long is this going to last, God? When are you going to answer? When are you going to come in? When are you going to step in? And God says, just wait. Trust that I am good. You can trust that I'm reliable. I'm coming with a second marshmallow. It's going to be good. The blessings of heaven are coming when we wait. The fourth test is the how test. And this is when you have a problem and you don't know how to solve it. It might be a financial problem. Come on, we've all been here, haven't we? Financial problem or a health problem or a relational problem. And it seems impossible to fix. God, how are you going to do this? How, how is this going to work? Last week, we talked about the problem that Abraham and Sarah faced. God promised them many descendants, but they were barren and they didn't have children. And at first, they failed the test, didn't they? By taking matters into their own hands, they took the easy way out. And Sarah gave her servant Hagar to Abraham and they had Ishmael. And for 13 years, Abraham thought that Ishmael was the promised child. But he wasn't. And God came 13 years later when Abraham was even older and said, no, no, no. Sarah is going to have a child and Isaac is going to be the promised child. The author of Hebrews tells us that eventually Abraham and Sarah had faith. Hebrews 11, 11 says it was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child. Though she was barren and was too old, she believed that God would keep his promise. She put her faith in God eventually. She believed that God would keep his promise, that he would make a way where there was no way. It was an impossible situation. God, how are you going to fix this? How are you going to deliver? How is this going to work? Think about when Jesus told his disciples to feed the 5,000. They said, hey, 
the disciples came to Jesus and said, hey, everybody's been here for a really long time listening to your really long sermon, Jesus. And now they're hungry. How many of you are hungry on Sunday afternoon? I'm starving after church, by the way. And they come to Jesus and they say, everybody's hungry. And Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, well, then you feed them. You do it. Go for it. Feed my people. Feed, feed, feed everybody. But Lord, what, what do you want us to do? You want us to go in town? Even, they're not going to have enough food in town. We don't have enough money to feed everybody. This is an, an impossible situation. How are you going to fix this? What does faith look like in the midst of a how test? Faith is expecting a miracle without knowing how. We have a God of the impossible. He is God of the impossible. You know, when you can do something by your own power, by your own strength, you're not thinking big enough. Because God says, I want you to ask me for something that is truly impossible for you to do on your own. If you can accomplish it by your own power, if you have figured out a way yourself to do it, then dream bigger. God says, I want to give you something that's impossible. I want to show you how I am a God of miracles. After Christina and I learned where we were going, we learned that we were coming to Ephrata. We had some things that needed to be taken care of. God, in order for this to work, you have to make a way. We had a few things on a list, and God, one by one, started checking things off that list and, and showing us how he was going to do it. He was making a way. One of the things was that uh, we, we said we need some family close by. That we've got four, We're having four kids. Uh, our fourth kid was on the way, and we need family close by to watch our kids, and we want our kids to grow near grandparents and, and other family members. And my parents lived in Vancouver at the time. My grandmother lived on the west side. And my parents came to me one day and said, we felt like God is saying to go where you go. So we're going to move with you to Afreda. Check. God was showing us how. That he's making a way. My grandmother, who lived in Bonnie Lake at the time, she sold her house and she bought a house up on the hill. God was making a way. Faith is expecting a miracle without knowing how. And the last test is the why test. Imagine putting yourself in Abraham's shoes. God asks him to sacrifice his only son, which all of his dreams of fathering a nation rested upon this child. Abraham couldn't explain why God asked him to do this, but in faith, Abraham moved forward and obeyed. And then God provided a ram in the thicket, didn't he? But imagine being Abraham when God says, I want you to take your only son, this child of promise that you waited so long for, and I want you to give him back to me sacrifice him up on the mountain it was a test and abraham most likely said why what are you doing why would you give me this son and now ask for him back but abraham he had the attitude of a servant he said okay i will do what you tell me to do we've all asked why in our life haven't we I just mentioned my grandmother, my grandma Mary, who moved to Afreda with us. She passed away last year due to COVID complications. And we prayed the prayer of faith as a family. We surrounded her, laid hands on her. We worshiped with her. We prayed the prayer of faith. We believed that God wanted to heal her. We fought with the doctors who wanted to give her comfort care long before it was needed. We brought her home. We cared for her. She was improving. Her oxygen levels were going up. Things were looking good. And then one morning, everything went downhill, and she still died. And it left our family going, why? 
God, I thought you had something else planned. I thought this was a testimony that you were that you were creating. I thought you were doing something else. Why did this happen? Her relationship with my mom was the best it ever was. Her home was the first place she took pride in and felt as though it was a gift from God. She loved being here in Afreda. She loved her home. It was like new life had come into her once she came to Afreda. And I had a relationship with my grandma that I hadn't had before. And suddenly she's taken away, and it leaves our whole family going, God, I thought you had something else planned. Why did this happen? Why did she go? Why didn't she have more time? And sometimes we face a loss in life that makes absolutely no sense. And often we look for an explanation when there, when there is none. And we can spend our whole life looking to explain the unexplainable. I'm, I, would ne- I will never say that God took my grandma away from me. I don't believe that God does that. He doesn't cause death. He brings life. We like to quote the book of Job and say, Lord, you give and you take away. And we could get into that in some other message. But the Jesus that we read about in the Bible is the one who says, I have come so that they may have life and they have it to the full. And a God who brings life and death is at odds with himself. And I would never say that God took away my grandmother. And so it leaves me asking God, why? Why did she pass away? And our response to these why questions, you, you might have asked in your life, why did the person I love die? Why did my dream end? I felt like you put something in my heart, God, and suddenly the doors have all closed. It seems like the end of a chapter. It seems like I'm coming to the end of the road, and I don't know why it's happening. Why did I lose my job? God, why did all this happen to me? We ask why. Faith in the midst of the why test is trusting God's purposes without knowing why. I think this is the hardest thing for people outside of the church looking in. They say, say, do you really serve a God who wouldn't give you all the answers? He's infinite and I'm finite. I I can't understand all that my infinite God does, but I trust him in the midst of every season. I follow him, not blindly. We don't blindly follow Jesus, but we put faith in the evidence that we have. God working in our life. We see the Jesus in the Bible. We have the evidence of Jesus in the Bible. And I put my faith in that evidence and the fact that he's still moving in my life. And I can trust that he's always good. That he's always good. That he always has the best in mind for us, even when I don't understand why. As a parent... My kid will, he's about to put his hand on the stove. And what do we do? Get your hand off of that. They start to cry. Why can't I touch the stove? You're going to burn yourself. It's not good for you. But why? It just looks so good. It's beautiful and red. No, don't touch the stove. And sometimes we're, we're like those little children. We don't always understand why. We can't understand why God has us in certain seasons. And those are testing seasons. Those are the why test. But it's faith and trusting God's purpose without knowing why. I'm going to ask my wife to come up as we close. We're going to try to land the plane. I was doing devotions this past week, and um, I was in the book of Judges. We're going through the Bible in a year. We're in the book of Judges. Judges chapter 2. There was something about this that stuck out to me. This is the 
This is so, so Israel has moved into the land of Canaan, and God has inst- instructed them to drive out all the current inhabitants of the land, but they failed to drive out all the inhabitants of the land. And this is what God says when they fail to drive out the inhabitants of Canaan. In Judges 2, verse 21, he says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations Joshua left when he died. I will use them to test Israel and see whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their ancestors did. The Lord had allowed those nations to remain. He did not drive them out all at once by giving them into the hands of Joshua. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. Here's the phrase that stuck out. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had not had any previous battle experience. Jesus wanted to teach warfare to those who didn't have any battle experience. How does God teach warfare? I'm not aware of any hand-to-hand combat one-on-one courses that Joshua was giving, or maybe fire arrow training that was happening in the camp of Israel. In fact, we see in the Bible that Israel's past victories in battle were not a result of their own grand tactics and strategies. Their victories and their defeats were directly related to their obedience to the Lord. When the Lord teaches warfare, he's really teaching obedience. When he teaches warfare, when he gets you battle ready, when he gets you ready for for a fight, he wants to know that you understand obedience, that you can trust him, that you trust he is good, that he has good things in store for you. He's getting you battle ready. He left the nations in in Israel. He didn't drive them out. Think about, I think about all of us who get saved. Some of us might get saved. God, Jesus, I received you into my heart. Now, why, why is this addiction still here? Why do I still have these tendencies? Why do I still struggle with this? It doesn't get driven out all at once, does it? Some of us it does. Praise God. Thank you, God, for that grace. But for most of us, it doesn't all get driven out at once. We have to learn to be obedient and fight those things out of our life. We have to go to war with those habits and those addictions and those things that are not not of Jesus. We go to war with those things and we drive them out, but we do it when God teaches us how to fight with obedience, trusting that he is good. He's always good. Jericho was won by obeying the Lord's instructions, and it was not led by the infantry, The worship team went out in front. The worship team was in front, and God instructed the Israelites how to take down Jericho, and they were victorious because they listened to the command of the Lord. The next city that they went towards was the city of Ai, and it was lost because of their disobedience. Someone in the camp buried treasure under their tent. When they destroyed the city, God said, don't take anything for yourself. And someone in the camp disobeyed the Lord and buried the treasure under their tent, and as a result... Israelites died. They lost that battle. Our victories and defeat are directly related to how close we listen to the Lord. To how much we trust Him. Trust that He is good in and out of every season. Here's the question I want to leave you with, church. Do you have battle experience? 
you learned to persevere and trust God in seasons of chaos. When there's an easier way out. When you can have all of it end by doing the wrong thing and God wants you to do the right thing. Do you stick those things out? Do you have battle experience? Have you passed the test of obedience? Perhaps God is making you battle ready. Perhaps he has you in this season because he's, he's, he's preparing you for something else in the future. We are in and out of seasons of testing all throughout our life. And as we do that, our strength, our, our faith is strengthened. It's hardened. We learn to persevere. We learn to trust God even more. Because every time he walks into the room, he brings that second marshmallow. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I'm not a big fan of marshmallows, honestly. But I am a fan of God's blessing. Would you stand with me so I can pray over you? something a little a little vulnerable this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to embarrass you. We're all in this together. But if you think that you're in a season of testing right now, would you just raise your hand? You would say, I think I'm going through a test. And I need the wisdom of God to get me through it. Because I don't know how to figure this out. I feel I'm seeing the easy way out. I'm seeing the exit ramp. God says, I want to teach you perseverance. So would you just keep your hand up if you're in a season of testing? If you're around somebody with their hand raised, put your hand on their shoulder right now. And just begin to intercede for them as we pray. Begin to pray in faith that God is going to give them what they need to pass the test. Holy Spirit, right now we come to you as your children who eagerly desire to stay close to you, to be obedient to you. And God, whatever test we're in, Whatever waiting season we're in, whatever trial we're going through, Jesus, we give it to you. And just like James says, we rejoice in it. We thank you for an opportunity to strengthen our faith. Without these tests, our faith would be weak. And you are giving us an opportunity to strengthen our faith. We rejoice together, just like James says. Even though maybe we don't feel like rejoicing, we say, thank you, God. Those of you who are in the midst of a test, just say, thank you, God, for my test. That was hard, wasn't it? Say it again. Thank you, God, for my test. Help me to persevere. Give me wisdom. Give me strength. Holy Spirit, give me what I need. And surround me with your comfort, and your encouragement, with people who can point me closer to you. I love you, Jesus. I'll never let you go. I give you this season. I give you all of me. In your name we pray. Everyone said, amen, amen.